You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jackie Alemany, a congressional correspondent and author of the Early 202, the the Post's early morning political newsletter. Today, we're going to focus on the one-year anniversary of the attack on the U.S. Capitol and the congressional investigation of that insurrection. My guest is Illinois Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger, one of two Republicans on that January 6th committee. Welcome back to Washington Post Live. Congressman Kinzinger, always good to have you on. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. President Biden went after Donald Trump this morning in a pretty forceful speech. He denounced the web of lies spread by Trump and his supporters. Will Republicans and your colleagues embrace President Biden's characterization today of the January 6th riot? And should they? Well, certainly they should. Will they? Probably not, at least not in the near term future. I mean, I think we have to look at this and say, who's the audience? And, you know, I I very recently have had to come to the realization that, look, 60, 70 percent of my party is is going to believe that Donald Trump won the election. Uh, And even if they don't believe it, it's become a political identity and a political identity has become a personal identity. And and to lose your personal identity is a scary thing for a lot of people. So I don't know if it's going to change their mind. But the thing I am heartened by uh, in a time of real disheartening times um, is the fact that still over 60, 70 percent of Americans, it should be 100, uh, recognize that Joe Biden did win. And that's the kind of margins you need to keep winning elections to put bulwarks down. Um, I thought the president's speech was necessary. I thought, you know, going after a former president is obviously rare, but necessary, particularly with an ongoing crisis. I just don't know if it's going to change my colleagues' minds because they already know that January 6th was what it was, and they know that Joe Biden won. They just don't say it. So do you believe that Biden's address was constructive to the political dialogue? Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be people that are ticked off by it, but those are the people that, you know, when you expose lies, when you expose conspiracy, uh, it's uncomfortable for them. I think it was necessary because we cannot accept uh, what is happening as a nation. The president, whether you voted for him or not, uh, speaks on behalf of the nation. And so I think it was necessary, uh, constructive to an extent, but I think we live in such polarized times that the idea of really shifting polls one way or another is not going to be the case. What we have to look at, and this is a real focus of the January 6th committee, is how does history record this in five and 10 years? And that's why a full accounting, as well as holding people responsible, is so important, as well as identifying the rot that led to this moment. And I want to get to the House Select Committee investigating the insurrection, which I've been covering since its inception in July. Uh, Chairman Benny Thompson, the chairman of the committee, said he wants former Vice President Mike Pence to volunteer before the committee. Are you preparing for Pence to cooperate? And what would that look like exactly? An interview, written questions? I think it would be, I mean, I'd love to have an interview with the vice president. Maybe it's written questions. I think The vice president obviously knows a lot. He had direct conversations with Donald Trump. He was there on January 6th. I'm sure he would have been privy to some number of potentially discussions prior to January 6th. Um, And so his cooperation will certainly be helpful if it comes through. Uh, A lot of, as it's been widely reported, you know, he has some former staff members that have been helpful. Um, And I think the key with all of this is 
you know, we can get focused and channelized on specific people. And, and I understand that and it's important, but there's over 300, as we well know, people that we've uh, already interviewed that we have information from each bringing a piece of the puzzle. And the key now is to look down at this whole scrambled, you know, pile of puzzle pieces that we have and put it together and make a picture. Critics of the committee argue that it hasn't uncovered any new information that isn't already publicly known. If they're wrong, can you give us an example of something new that the committee has uncovered as a part of the investigation that you think is important for the public to know? Yeah, I don't want to get ahead of the committee in terms of information that's not out there in the public, but there's a lot of things, for instance, as we see just, I, I think, you know, really headline grabbing as Fox News hosts texts, uh, not just post-insurrection, but pre-insurrection, expressing concern, Sean Hannity expressing concern for what's going to happen with January 6th. Here's the trick, though, of kind of the Trumpist, we'll call them, is no matter what information we put out, they'll say this is old information. It's Donald Trump's, Trump's oldest trick in the book, where if he says something outright, it certainly can't be a scandal because he said it. Or if he didn't say it and information comes out, you just repeat it and say, yeah, that's old information or something is a partisan witch hunt. Uh, we've been through this a hundred times. That's his tactics. But the truth is, I think the vast majority of the American people want to know what we uncover. Because look, again, we can look today on the anniversary of January 6th, and it's important and mourn the event of January 6th. But what has changed? I'll tell you, the only thing that's changed is people have gotten more hardened in their political corners. Uh, politicians have gotten even more cowardice in terms of speaking out. And quite honestly, the one thing that concerns me the most is January 6th taught a lesson. It taught a lesson of what not to do and what to do. You see the linchpins of what could change uh, a, an election outcome or at least create a constitutional crisis in 2024, which is why we need to take a look at the Electoral Count Act in seriousness and get that fixed. And you just mentioned that you don't think that the committee necessarily must hear from the former Vice President Mike Pence. You've also said previously that you didn't think it was necessary to hear from uh, former President Trump directly. Do you feel like the committee has a sufficient amount of new information to move forward to make your case, or do you feel like there's some still some key missing pieces? I feel like personally, if we had to make the case today, we could do it. Um, there's still some pieces we'd like to get, particularly archives pieces, more uh, interviews with people. Um, I, I think the reason with when you talk about Donald Trump or Mike Pence is we have so far, this has been a, and, and it will continue to be, a very nonpartisan committee, not just bipartisan, it's nonpartisan. Um, I think history will write down not just the events of January 6th, but the fact that this is a select committee that really is working in unison and together. You can imagine how much how chaotic it would be uh, if there were people trying to gum up the works of, of legitimate investigation. And so, uh, you know, as this thing goes on, I, I think we'll get more and more information. But the key to this, since we're obviously not looking, it doesn't mean we can't do criminal referrals. We need to be clear about that. But this isn't a criminal investigation. It's an investigation for accountability, to figure out what we need to do to prevent it from happening again. And I think laying that out in front of the American people is going to be essential. And even if somebody doesn't want to read it, their kids will someday. Well, on the topic of 
criminal referrals, you said that you thought a really important question and, and key to being able to flesh out a potential criminal referral for the former president would be finding out what Trump knew exactly prior to the insurrection and the breach uh, by pro-Trump supporters of the Capitol. Do you think that question has been answered? Do you have sufficient information, do you think, at this point to move forward with some criminal referrals? Well, you know, I'm one of the few, well, I guess there's a handful of us on the committee that aren't lawyers. So to reach a threshold of, you know, can is this a, a criminal referral? I don't know. Um, and we have time to continue to get more and more information. And one of the things I'm interested in, uh, which, which we have more work to do on that front, is what is the role of foreign governments in this? Whether it's misinformation online, spreading misinformation, uh, is there any money that ended up uh, that organized this uh, from foreign governments? That's going to be uh, important as well. But, you know, in terms of uh, reaching that threshold, I'll leave that up to the lawyers. But the bottom line is uh, we deserve these answers. We deserve the truth. And from Donald Trump for that 180 minutes that he was sitting in the dining room watching television, we can say in the best case scenario that he was frozen by indecision which we know he's very indecisive. So could that be realistic? Maybe. We also could, and I think this is more realistic, although I'll let the facts bear that out. He could have been gleefully excited about what was happening. And his call to Kevin McCarthy, where he says, well, they seem to be more concerned about election fraud than you are, uh, that would lead some, uh, at least anecdotal evidence to that. But if the president knew that violence was either going to happen or could potentially happen on January 6th and went ahead with his speech uh, where he said, we're going to march down to the Capitol. We have to fight. Those kinds of words have now a different meaning. And the lawyers and the Justice Department will have to figure out where that leads to culpability. Again, taking into account, we still have a lot more information to get, particularly calls the president made, visitor logs, et cetera, that we could hopefully get with the, uh, with the archive records. Do you feel like the committee has the fullest picture possible of the 187 minutes that Trump was paralyzed by indecision, the time from when violence at the Capitol started to uh, when he finally put out his first tweet? No, we don't have that full picture. And, you know, we may never get that full picture um, because, again, there may be moments when he was by himself. Uh, in fact, it could be a lot of moments when he was by himself. But we can get a pretty good idea of who, is, who communicated to him maybe an order he needed to give or what did he communicate back. Uh, every person that we interview that may be able to shed light on some part of this, whether it's talking to somebody who talked to him, um, any of those things will come together in this piece that people smarter than me will be able to lay out in a story, in an evidentiary trail uh, that'll be very important. But I, I think one thing we do know, and, and this is a, a, an important question, not just for January 6th accountability, I think for every member of government going forward, is what is the purpose of your oath? Okay, you take an oath to the Constitution to defend it against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Is that just words we say? Is it meaningless? And maybe it is to some people. I have a feeling it is to some people. It's, it's simply something you have to utter to get your job, um, particularly in Congress lately, it seems like. Uh, but when the president takes that oath and then certainly abdicated that oath for at least three hours. Now, I would argue that you could go all the way back to prior to the election, 
where the president was casting doubt on the election, and then certainly after the election. Look, to self-govern, we need one basic thing. We don't have to agree on anything at all, except for one basic thing, that when you vote, your vote is going to count and the results are going to be accurate. We do that really well in the United States. When you convince almost half of the country that that didn't happen, you set yourself guaranteed on a path to violence. Because as you've seen in authoritarian regimes and in democracies everywhere around the world and in history, if you believe your voice has been taken away, which is what our vote is, that's the really the only time we actually get a, a voice in government. When you believe that has been taken away, it is just a matter of time until you turn to violence. And Congressman Kinzinger, you mentioned the issue of foreign interference being at play here in the lead up to January 6th. What countries exactly were trying to interfere? Well, I can't give that information yet. I, I think when we look at misinformation, the role it's played, the chaos that has ensued, not particular to January 6th, because again, I don't want to get ahead of what we report uh, if and when we do on this subject. Um, but if you look at the 2016 election, 2018 election, you look at chaos with COVID. I mean, there's straight up, we know that, you know, probably many of us got that text message at the beginning of COVID that said, so-and-so has somebody that they know in government that said there's going to be a nationwide government shutdown in 48 hours. And it created some panic. I mean, I had probably 50 people text me, you know, have you talked to DHS? What that does, we know for a fact that that was actually incited by both China and Russia. And so I think it is safe to say, without revealing anything that we know, it is safe to say that China and Russia, without necessarily even picking sides, benefit, in their mind at least, from chaos. And so there's a lot of, of incentive for them to create chaos. They've made it clear. And, and the, the thing we have to grapple with as a free and open society, I don't know if we're capable of grappling with this right now, as divided as we are is what is First Amendment protected speech? Is it really First Amendment protected speech to, for a commander in chief to lie? Is it protected speech to incite violence and incite riot? And since we have such a free and open society and Russia and China don't, are we fighting on a level playing field if we can't fight back with our own information? Um, those are things we have to grapple with that I don't have the answers to. And uh, I certainly hope we can get to a point where we're grown up enough um, that we recognize that each other's not the enemy. You can really dislike each other, certainly in politics, but we're fighting real competitors, real enemies out there that would seek to do us real harm. And I want to get to the topic of interview requests and outstanding subpoena, potential subpoenas that the committee might have. Late Tuesday, the committee shared text messages uh, that Fox News' Sean Hannity was sending to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, before, during, and after the riot. Is Hannity cooperating with the committee? He hasn't cooperated yet. We'd love him to, obviously. We uh, will see what position he takes. I'm sure he's going to try to claim a First Amendment, you know, freedom of press situation. Of course, he has called himself not a journalist. And, and, a, and a question probably more for you and other journalists is, at what point do you go from being a journalist to an advocate, particularly when you're finding one side of the debate and advocating and advising them, et cetera? Uh, so the committee will pursue everything we need to on that. I think it's a, it's a very intriguing part of this investigation. It's certainly not all of it. 
Um, but uh, I think that'll say a lot. I think when you know the Supreme Court takes up the archives case, I hope they expedite it. They really should. Um, and we can get that adjudicated and see you know, a lot of the documents of which I don't even remember what all of the requests were with the with the uh, archives, but see the information. And by the way, with archives, that's the American people's stuff. That's why it goes to the archives. So we're not asking for Donald Trump to open Mar-a-Lago and give us his bin of personal effects. This is the American people's stuff. Will you see cooperation from other Fox News personalities, people like Laura Ingram or Brian Kilmeade, who were also in touch with Mark Meadows on that day? I can't answer that because I don't know the depth of that involvement. I only know some of the, I don't have all of the evidence uh, that I've seen with in terms of their involvement. I'll tell you this, if, if it's necessary, if it will add to the investigation, and if we can do it in a right way, we certainly will. There is, there is going to be no stone left unturned. And I think, you know, the interesting thing at the beginning of this committee, um, you started to have people question, well, what are you guys doing? We're not seeing much. And of course, we didn't do hearings at the beginning. We had the one and that's it. But if you look at what this investigation is, it's kind of this iceberg theory, right? Where you're seeing a little bit of it, but most of the work is underneath. And I think we'll start to see that. We're potentially going to do very public hearings here in the next month or so, where it's important to lay that information out for people. Um, so we're looking forward to that because, again, telling that story is important. But I think it's also important to recognize when we go through kind of selective leaks, drip, 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 new information kind of every day, the American people naturally tune that out. And that's what we don't want is for the horror of the day of January 6th and the horror of what was done to the lead up and post. We don't want that to end up going over calloused ears and giving credence to, again, when the president, former president likes to say, oh, this is old information, because it's certainly not. And requests for information and interviews for uh, from Congressman Scott Perry and Jim Jordan, two people who were uh, involved with the operation to overturn the results of the election and were also in touch with President Trump on January 6th, uh, were made a few weeks ago, but they uh, have rebuffed the request. At least Scott Perry has. Jim Jordan was a little bit milk toast about it. Where do, do those requests stand? And, and will the committee move forward with subpoenas in order to get them to comply with the investigation? So what's the latest? I don't necessarily have an update on. Um, I'm sure that now that we're kind of back from the holidays, there'll be some movements so probably some news out of that in the, in the next, I don't know, week is a guess, um, I, but I don't know. And, and I think it's important. There's a lot of nuance in terms of what can Congress do to subpoena a fellow congressman? What can they require them to say? It's not a matter of protecting our own. It's really constitutional questions. That's what we're waiting through right now. Um, I'm of the firm belief that being a member of Congress does not protect you from um, the DOJ. It certainly doesn't protect you from an inquiry of Congress. We have an ethics committee, as an example, that looks into ethics, potential ethics violations every day. We can police ourselves. Uh, on those things, we have to. And uh, so in my mind, we need this information and we need it. We need a pretty ricky tick because if members of Congress knew what was going to happen um, or if they had an inkling of what was going to happen, um, that's important both from an election perspective because their voters have to reelect them or not. But that is important from the future of the institution, because one of the things, Jackie, that concerns me, and you know the institution well, when you violate a norm, 
Okay, we have, you know, when people watch C-SPAN or they watch us, if they cover anything live and we call each other the gentleman, the gentleman, gentlewoman, you know, and we have all these kind of what seem to be antiquated things, there's a reason. Because that is all in place to take the passions of America that exist out there and distill that into a building called the Capitol, which we should hold in reverence and I fear was really damaged on January 6th. And then we distill that into persuasive ar uh, arguments. And those persuasive arguments let the steam out of the passion and come to solutions. Um, when that is being violated, when 147 members of the Republican Party vote against certifying an election, which was unheard of. I mean, you always had one or twos that did it in the past to make a point. I, you know, the problem is in 2024, if the Republicans lose again, um, are those 147 members, whoever of those that are left, are they going to be able to turn around and now recertify an election? Is the new base going to be that if you're truly a conservative, you can't certify an election? And every norm that is violated uh, degenerates a place meant to actually distill really, really intense passions. And if members of Congress are involved in that, we have to know so we can take disciplinary action and also so that potentially DOJ could do their, their thing with it. What evidence has the committee seen so far about current members of Congress aiding or abetting or, or who might have simply been in touch with those who participated in the riot? But you're really good, and I wish I could give you some some good information that you know hasn't been reported. But again, uh, I have to say I don't want to get out ahead of the committee on that. We do have a lot of work to do. I can look at what's out there in open source though, and talk about you know uh, Lauren Boebert live tweeting the location of the speaker. Uh, it, normally, saying you know the speaker's taken out of the chamber, or the speaker's the, you wouldn't think anything about it except that morning she tweeted today is 1776. What was in 1776, the revolution, right? And it, and, it, and it harkens to, and this is what's important for people that may not be in the right-wing kind of media or, or social ecosystem, is there's been building, which is why I think it's going to take a long time to come out of this. There has been building for a long time. What started as legitimate grievances, some of them saying, okay, you know, uh, George W. Bush's National Guard memo, things like that, that are fake, that are reported. Uh, we don't compete in a fair media environment. Now, I remind my Republican colleagues that we still won half or more of the elections in that environment. But what happened is, is then that was used, that little piece of kind of unfairness was used by profit hogs. And that's what these you know, these kind of flame-throwing podcasters, radio hosts that do nothing but stir up an anger. You know, Rush Limbaugh at least was open about saying, I'm an entertainer. Some of these now pretend like they're not entertainers. They are profit-making money. And what happened is over time, what started as maybe a legitimate grievance grew into illegitimate grievances. And that's where we're sitting today. And you have a whole host of people that believe they'll never get a fair shake, that believes the system's rigged against them. And I would implore my Democratic colleagues too, um, find your allies that you have. We have to have a natural alliance, an unnatural alliance at the moment. If you look at opposition movements against authoritarianism all through history, you can track whether they'll fail or whether they'll succeed by whether people with very different views can work together for a limited amount of time. 
that's the moment we're in right now. And uh, I think that's yet to be answered. How much cooperation have you received uh, from members of Congress who have voluntarily come forward to provide information? As far as I know, not much. Um, you know, I think what we get from people that maybe not, I guess, I don't want to call them targets because I think there's a legal re uh, term for that. But, you know, people we're interested in talking to um, are a lot of what you're going to get are people that maybe have stories from the day or whatever. We've heard them. That's important to hear. Um, it's important for people to come in with particular expertise. I think of uh, my friend Denver Riggleman. He's a former member of Congress, but he came in. He he worked in intel and, and radicalization issues in the Air Force. He's been extremely helpful in some of this online stuff that's occurring. Um, so, yeah, that kind of information can come in. But in terms of the people that we're interested in and saying, did they have a role? You know, did they know? Obviously, I think it's it's pretty evident that they wouldn't they wouldn't be super eager to cooperate with us. But, you know, look, it's it's I, I like to remind people anytime they think this committee is unfair, which is, I think, ironic because it's actually one of the uh, it is the most nonpartisan probably committee in existence of this Congress. Um, but when they say that, I remind people that uh, at Kevin McCarthy's behest, John Katko negotiated a January 6th commission that was made of former members that, you know, didn't have a political motive, uh, evenly split between Republicans and Democrats, and they voted it down. And I think they hopefully regret that now because it's going to be very damaging. And Congressman, we only have five more minutes, so I'm going to try to squeeze in as many questions as possible. But I want to talk a little bit about the final products of the committee. Um, can you speak to what exactly the public hearings are going to look like? I know they're currently under discussion still, but are they going to feature live witnesses providing testimony, video footage? Uh, can, can you describe what the American public should expect? Yeah, so it hasn't taken a final formation, so I, I'm not going to be speaking with any you know, amazing knowledge about what's going to happen, but I can foresee uh, the use of multimedia, the use of the videos is important because it brings the emotion in the picture of the moment. You look at what we did with the first hearing where, you know, you had these people telling their stories. Uh, we recognize that this is less about going in and particularly gathering information necessary and as much about telling the American people the story. Um, so it may be people involved in that day and maybe people that have some expertise on radicalization or things that they saw occurring, you know, on the lead up to January 6th. What we don't want to do is bore people. And I don't mean that from the perspective of this is entertainment. I mean it from the perspective of we have to continue to get people's attention for something because we could afford as a country to move on from January 6th had we taken full accountability for it. But the conditions that led to it, I would argue, not only aren't even gone, uh, the conditions are even more fertile for something like this to happen again in 2024. So and the final product, again, we don't want a very long, boring thing that nobody reads. Uh, I think the 9-11 Commission put out a report uh, that opened with talking about failures of imagination, and, and that caught a lot of people's attention. And uh, two final quick questions for you. Uh, are, there any, are there any other legislative proposals being discussed to update and strengthen our constitutional guardrails other than the Electoral Vote Count Act? And how are you going to change minds uh, for the peep, that subset of people who do not believe that the committee should exist and who have bought into the whitewashing of what happened on January 6th? Well, the way to change their mind is, uh, is I think, 
constant streams of truth. You know, as a regular Sunday schooler attender as a kid, uh, I learned that the greatest disinfectant to lies and conspiracy is truth. And it may take some time. I don't think anybody purposely wants to be misled, but when you have bought your identity as your political affiliation, and by the way, it's the stupidest thing to make friends off of is what they believe in politics. I mean, make friends with somebody you enjoy getting a beer with, not somebody that has the same political views, because that forces you into a box where you can't change. Um, I look at that kind of stuff and say, you know, it's going to take time for some of those people to come around. I'm okay with it. Uh, I'm going to fight hard even when I'm out of Congress, mercifully out of Congress in a year. Uh, I have this movement, Country First, Country1ST.com, focused on telling people about the importance of primaries, et cetera. Um, and so that's going to be important. But I think I missed, what was the first part of your question again? Any other legislative proposals uh, outside of the updating the Electoral um, Vote Count Act? No, and I think that's going to be essential for the for the moment. I also think it's essential to make people aware of the attack that's happening on lower level officials, whether they're secretaries of state, whether, you know, Brad Raffersberger in Georgia, love him or hate him, he needs to win. And uh, I have I, I fully support him because he has stood for truth in, in the in the midst of, you know, really relentless attacks. There are some people that won't and there are some people that that this movement is trying to install that would do nothing but actually help them. Um, that's going to be the most important in the near term. Unfortunately, we are all out of time. We're going to have to leave it there, but we hope you'll come back soon uh, and join us again. Anytime. Thanks. Good talking to you. Thanks, Congressman. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.